guess what, Eddie? It's almost decided. I'm almost decided about going back to Susie. I can't stand it, Eddie. The loneliness and some form of total unusual insanity is creeping up on me. So I've been thinking that maybe if we had a kid, you know, everything, or at least the main things, might be okay. What kid? We're trying to have a kid. You and Susie? Yeah, me and Susie. Come on, Eddie, wake up here. She wants a kid. All her friends have been having them. Oh, it's that goddamn maternal urge. The biological clock's like a time bomb, Phil. That's what it is. I mean, the confusing thing is me, Eddie. Because sometimes I want to have a kid, and then sometimes, like for the last month or so in my mind, I see this little baby with a big gun to my head. So you don't want the kid? No. I do, and I don't. Phil, do you ever think maybe this is why it's you you fight so much? Now, if you do go back, you gotta get some clarity. So you both know what the issues are. How much? 26 bucks. Well, that makes sense, except that she has to have one now. She doesn't have to have one now. I tried telling her that, Eddie. I told her I got three kids in Toledo. I don't even know how old they are. I haven't seen them since I went to prison. I don't want any more kids rolling around their beds at night with the sick fucking hatred of me. I can't stand it. entire world frankly this is not television this is a universal thing youtube i don't know if there's divisions like youtube europe youtube youtube south america either way welcome to the cinema night podcast we are based in the united states but we love all people from all over the world and today we're going to focus on hurley burley does it hold up or not 1998 film going back in time with yours truly travis roy eric branstrom it's going to be a doozy Travis, are you excited for this Hurley Burley breakdown? I'm really glad that you chose this. This is a movie that I think is, I mean, it's ideal for our podcast. At one point, it was in my pores. I lived this movie. I'm not in that, like, I mean, I wasn't like a character in this movie. I just read, what? I just watched it a lot. Thank God I didn't, you know, I don't think I stooped quite that low in my life. I yeah, don't you're know. lucky. We'll see. Person. <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad. Uh, yeah. I'm glad too. Uh, it's good to be back. I know life got the best of me last week, but I'm back and better than ever. So it's, it's good all to have good you back. now. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I don't know the goddamn code. Even if you don't know the code, <laughs> it's okay. Don't worry. Uh, we'll talk about that movie in the middle of the show, as we always do, or a little bit later. Cinnamonidepod at protonmail.com. Send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. And of course, five star reviews are always welcome. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, all that jazz and more. Eric, uh, you guys broke down 8 Mile last week, and we had special guest hosts. Thanks again to Luke Horlbeck for stepping in for me. Yeah, thanks, Luke. Big help. 
Did you yeah. get all of his notes on class and reform and all that jazz? <laughs> <laughs> always a pleasure to have the great Lou Coral back on. Uh, he's always welcome. And uh, again, you know, if you liked his episode, make sure you check out Is It Safe podcast where he and uh, Mike Govier, along with the other gentleman, Scott. Uh, Scott, John Scott. He has two names, guy. apparently. Uh, they break down general goings on in pop culture, the news, sports, everything. So if you like kind of a, a potpourri type podcast with insight and laughs, check out Is It Safe with, with Luke. But that was a lot of fun last week. And Mike Govier. Who? Yeah, and Luke loves <laughs> movies. He's a huge movie guy. So um, if you're into movies, you want to get Luke's opinions on stuff, it's great. Last night we talked about the Mexican pizza and Taco Bell. So you never know what we'll talk about. And Luke got a new microphone. He sounds amazing. He's taken himself to a new level. So congratulations, Luke. Uh, Travis, we all saw the Batman, but we've all agreed that we won't talk about it on the show because, you know, out of respect to everybody else, but we are going to do a little side episode. That's right. He's the Batman. He's the Batman. Most generic score you've ever written. No, no, no. I strongly disagree, but let's save it for We're going to have our first mini episode, our first like bonus episode. We'll record it after this podcast. So stick around if you're watching live. I guess we'll be in the same stream. I don't know. But we'll put it on the YouTube channel. And we're going to unpack. We'll upload it. 2022's the batman now that you know we all three of us watched it before it technically got released i mean like I, apparently it's supposed to come out friday tomorrow uh, in our time but you know we no, those days are over it. yeah it's like a yeah. joke it's like well no These big uh, movies by, things that you know yeah there's a screening on tuesday it's right like, by yeah. friday i mean tuesday friday so, the grove now you'll be there you'll be right. there you could bring the you can bring your kids. You can bring the whole family. I don't want any more kids rolling around that bed tonight with the sick <laughs> fucking hatred of me. I can't stand it. Unless you have issues with your children. I, so. I hope we have lots of jazz <laughs> quotes coming. Lots of Phil quotes. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, Eric, it did remind me, you know, we uh, we saw The Dark Knight Rises together 10 years ago this year. That was a long time ago. That's hard to believe. You know, we went to the Henry Ford IMAX Theater in beautiful Dearborn, Michigan, beautiful. and that was a game changer. I've been to a lot of theaters that pretend like they're IMAX. They call them Limax, where they're just like a big screen, but it's not like the actual <laughs> IMAX experience, which is because yeah. at Henry Ford, like, they like position you in front of the screen like you're flying in front of it in a helicopter <laughs> and like right. the noise is like earthquake and but yeah, that was that was so much fun. It was it was amazing how much you thought a movie that shitty was actually good just because you're in an IMAX theater. <laughs> what I call the gravity effect. Uh, what is that? The gravity effect. That's where yeah. I saw I saw gravity on one of those on that kind of IMAX oh. where it was like yep. you have to like climb a mountain to get to it, and then you sit like you know, you can look <laughs> down at the movie if you want to, or up. Yeah. Choice is yours. <laughs> you watch it at home and you're like, what the fuck is this? Epcot Center like uh, <laughs> video on like a theme park? What is this shit? Uh, yeah. Center. Wow. I, uh, by the way, so I didn't get to comment. I'll just say real quickly, 8 Mile uh, does not hold up. That is my opinion. No. Since I didn't get it on the record. But right. now that know, it is, it's, that's three out of four. It's not terrible. It's just, you know, I, I, it's a movie that I've thrown on many times that I'll just watch for the fuck of it. Maybe because I'm from here. I don't know. There might be some connection like that, I'm sure. And, hey, Michigan's sort of Detroit. But if you start to break it down, there's just there's not a lot going on there. It's pretty drab, too. So that's my two cents on 8 Mile. All right. And if you want the other 98 cents, you can listen to our previous episode. 45 cents? 
45 cents. Pick him up. Pick him up. Scott for the brother, man. Scott for the brother, man. Yeah, there it is. Uh, <laughs> Travis, uh, let's turn it over to you, and you can break down your latest quarantine viewing picks. Well, I'm going to say right off the bat that The Batman is my number one suggestion for the week, although I did watch some other movies as well. Uh, friend of the show, I guess I could say at this point, right, was is uh, Daryl Edge from the podcast Cage Rage Podcast. He had me back on to record... Uh, I watched the movie 211 from 2018, which is, I think the it might be the lowest rated or among the lowest rated on IMDb for Nick Cage movies. He literally was scraping the very bottom of the barrel of like, who is so obsessed with Nick Cage that they will watch this movie and talk about it with me. And of course the answer is me, Travis Roy. I love Nick Cage that much. <laughs> and I didn't hate the movie. I have to admit it wasn't as bad as the dude's follow-up, uh, Disturbing the Peace with Guy Pierce, but I wouldn't recommend it. So keep an eye out for that on the Cage Rage podcast. And while I'm talking about being another podcast, I've been asked a, a couple times, so I, so I might as well put it on the record for this show because we plugged it a few times, quite a few episodes back. But there was a podcast that Mike was on and that I recorded an episode for that never actually aired called oh, yeah. uh, What This Song Means to Me. And a few people have been like, hey, where, where can I find that? Uh, that sounds great. And then it turns out it's been taken down. So you're not you're not going to find that, I'm afraid. But and, and regular listeners, if you were wondering why you couldn't find it, that that's the answer there. Yeah, Checked in on Spencer. Oh, okay. Oh. I love Spencer. Spencer. Loved it. Loved I it. Loved it. I loved, loved it. it. What's, what's this guy? Pablo Lorraine? What's his name? Is that yeah, name? you didn't see Jackie. Uh, I haven't seen Jackie any of his stuff. I, hadn't, out, I didn't man. watch Jackie. I don't know why. I hadn't gotten around to it. So good. I really like... Yeah, I didn't watch that one either, Travis. For some reason, didn't? I wasn't... I, oh, Jackie. I think I'd dive into that type of movie, but I you didn't end up watching it. it yeah. I know. Same here. It seemed like Natalie Portman. I don't know why I didn't watch it, but I will now. I, You know, I love like looking at Terrence Malick's uh, imprint on other filmmakers because he's so heavy-handed, but when you see filmmakers that really love his work and you can see his influence on their work... They kind of do what he does a little bit better sometimes, or at least with with more restraint. And I, I mean, people have gone on, and rightfully so, about the performance of Kristen Stewart in this movie. And, and I and I have not yet seen um, Eyes of Tammy Faye, but I've seen pretty much everything else. But I am pulling for Kristen Stewart at this point. I thought she was incredible in this. But my big takeaway from this movie was Johnny Greenwood's score. He was he was nominated for um, Power of the Dog, which kind of felt a bit like a retread to me of what he had done with uh, There Will Be Blood, but what he does with mixing like freestyle jazz and like this Baroque kind of music, I've never seen music in a film, I think, so well represent what's going on screen where it's like it's like so confining and tight and class and like you're and but at the same time there's like this tension underneath. I just love Johnny Greenwood's score for this. Like I, I'll stop there because I I'll probably just keep rambling, but I really was impressed by that movie. Uh, and then other than Hurley Burley, you know what? I checked out the French Dispatch. Ah, it turns out, you know, I guess that in the last 15 years, there's only been one uh, Wes Anderson movie that I like, and that's the Grand um, the, the Grand Budapest Hotel. I have not liked anything the man has put out for some wow. time, including this. I was just – it just felt <sighs> – Part of me is like, dude, just just go ahead and make animated films. It's fine. Go ahead. It's fine. You make good <laughs> ones. Clearly, that's what you want to be doing. Just go go ahead and do it. 
Um, and, and, you know, and I can, I can appreciate the artistry of what he's doing, but I find this, it's so stylistic that I just get, it's so, I mean, I, I can't, I get, I, I don't, I'm not going to get pulled into a story if I'm constantly reminded that I'm watching a film. I just can't, I have a hard time doing that. So I, you know, it, constantly reminded. You know what I mean? Like it, it's you're never you're never allowed to just enjoy the story. You're constantly being uh, dazzled with mm-hmm. you know this symmetric, stylized, perfectly color paletted thing. You know, and, it, and it's like I don't know. Bring me some raw edges, dude. Don't don't give me a hundred percent. Back it off a little bit. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> maybe, you know, give me some rawness. I, that's 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 where I'm coming from. So. Didn't love it. I can see why it hasn't been uh, that you know much loved. And then of course I watched the Batman. I've enjoyed. It. I've watched it three times, by the way. Oh, the Furthest Dispatch. Well, I'm I'm glad that some people are loving it. You know, I'm glad to hear it. it just man, I, if I have to see uh, Tilda Swinton do the whole tooth thing one more time with the accent, and no, thank you, no, thank you, enough with the teeth. <laughs> <laughs> My teeth is on the floor. <laughs> My oh dear. <laughs> oh, Russell Withers checking in, our old pal Russell. Yeah, Russell Early Burley. Blah, blah, blah. Snort. That about sums it up, Russ. Right at the top. Right at the top. Hey, categorically, definitively. Uh, Eric, what have you been watching? What would you like to share with the audience this week? I was inspired by you, Mike, when you brought up the very, you know, deft choice of men at work. So I decided to check it out. That's been about 30 years in, uh, I was laughing my ass off, man. This is classic 80s comedy. It literally starts with <laughs> drums of toxic waste as any <laughs> yeah. comedy from the 80s ha- or any movie from the 80s has to. So much toxic waste in the 80s. It was, it was so ridiculous. So many drums of toxic waste. But hilarious. Yeah, they had to make a toxic Avenger. There was so much. Yeah. They made a movie out of it. So much toxic waste. Oh, I love that movie. And so then several um, movies. I. I I started watching, and I and I, I really wanted to turn it off because I thought it was so dumb. But something in the back of my head kept telling me that this was one of your favorite movies, Travis. So I was like, "All right, I'll keep keep watching it." Uh, High spirits. I fucking love high spirits. (laughs) This has Uh, to be one of the dumbest movies I've ever read. How did this get made? What is this? How is this a movie? I guess if you didn't grow up watching it over and over again since you were nine, it might not really be one. For, you know, there's a reason why I never recommended it. I, I may have said I loved it, but I never said, hey, check out this movie. And it's got Steve <laughs> Gutenberg and it's from the 80s. I don't know where your expectations were, but you should have adjusted well, them. Uh, they were pretty high when the first credit on the screen was a Neil Jordan film. I, right. I was in disbelief with, with Liam Neeson and and this score. I love this. Speaking of scores, that's one of my favorite scores. That's a, that's a that's a great Halloween score right there. I don't know, man. I, I think it's a great movie, but I wouldn't say it's a great movie. <laughs> OK. Ooh. I watched The Curve. Like I remember seeing like the cover box. I think I used to shelve it back in the late 90s at Blockbuster. Mm. The Curve with Matthew Lillard. Um I gave it a chance because I'm like, all right, man, like late 90s, like the whole Kevin Williamson scream. I know he did last summer. Urban Legends. Uh, what were the other ones? Killing Mrs. Tingle. Uh, what was that one with Elijah Wood, the Rodriguez, the faculty? I'm like, oh, this, is the, this is the Ooh. one I didn't see, The Curve. Let's check it out. Oh, my God. It was so bad. It was so bad. It made no sense. Like, it was just complete drivel like off the wall improv central nothing even happens for the first half hour like 
So dumb. Never watched the curve on Tubi. Um, but then I checked out. <laughs> check out. He said, she said. Like I've been seeing this cover box all oh, my yeah. life. I've never seen it. Tried to uh, find that one. I couldn't find it anywhere. Yeah, man. Um, I hit play on Amazon Prime, and I was really happy. Uh, I I was really delighted, and I enjoyed myself. Uh, I thought it was sweet and funny and interesting. Nathan Lane, Kevin Bacon, Elizabeth Perkins. I mm-hmm. had a good time. Yeah, it's it's underrated. I think it's I think it was one that uh, Hughes actually really highly regarded himself, but people didn't you know it didn't do as well as he would have liked. As I understand it. Okay. Yeah. Other than that, as we'll get into in the mini episode, I dude going back to a theater uh, for the first time in two years was just <laughs> it was really something, man. It was that your first time? The, yeah, yeah, I haven't been since Rise of Skywalker, December 2019. Me too. Uh, really? For both of you? All right. Welcome back. No kidding. Yeah. I didn't realize I blew that. it on licorice pizza. I kept <laughs> it. should have been licorice pizza. Dude. And again, like, it, everything came back. It was such a noisy crowd. And, like, the, the mm-hmm. whole, like it was, it, everyone was making noise. This woman was chewing ice next to me. And if you know <laughs> me, that's the one thing you never want to do around me under any circumstances. Chewing ice the entire time, and I was just oh. wishing I was at home. You're gonna lose us our HBO audience Max. space. So yeah, mm. um, but yeah, it's, it was good to be back, and it was fun. Some of the big moments, like when the crowd starts to have fun and this collective thing happened, I was feeling the magic. But that ice uh, just reminded <laughs> me that uh, you know, being at home, is, you can't beat it. But yeah, I got it, really, man. I got really lucky this time. For once, I had a full theater that wasn't full of assholes. I, I didn't see one phone come out. Wow, that's impressive. And you guys both saw that, just for the record, on Wednesday. Yes. Yesterday. Yesterday, Wednesday. We were recording on Thursdays, which we always do, live on Thursdays, by the way. That's right. Uh, Yeah. Okay, well, thank you, Eric. Good stuff, my friend. Sorry there was ice chips. You know, that (laughs) happens. Um, I had not been to the theater in two years myself, too. So that dawned upon me now. And there's an MGR right down the street. Like, it's literally 1.3 miles. I've never lived that close to a big theater like that that I can recall. I mean, we lived in Maniunk. I guess that theater was pretty close, too. So Yeah, that was less than um, a mile away. Yeah, that was, actually. You're right. So I take that back. So I never went outside, though. That... Anyways, uh, this one, I haven't gone to this one either. So if I finally went to it and I got to hear that dumb, it's more fun and yeah. yeah, well, that's better than Nicole Kidman some of the movies in that. coming on to AMC and like telling you how you should feel. Did you get the uh, cast of the Batman like all smiles? Like, I was being like, yeah, get rid yeah of that I part. did. And I was like, are you? Yeah, what the fuck was me? that? <laughs> Jeffrey Wright looked like he wanted to. He looked like he'd rather shit his pants than doing what he, than be doing what he was doing. He looked so <laughs> unhappy with what he was doing. Oh, God damn that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was uh, that was something. But yeah, being back in the theater, I you know I caught the matinee today, and it was only six dollars. So I was like, wow, I was nice. stunned with the price. Wow, yeah, that was cool. And uh, there were people there, and there was food there. I didn't get any food either, which is unheard of. But I, I was proud of myself that I I just kept it simple: six dollars, see a movie. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, you know, I've just been pounding Kirby enthusiasm right now, hardcore. And once <laughs> you get into a show like that with so yeah. much content. There's really no room for any of the movies at this time. So I'm rewatching you know, Seinfeld right now. It's funny you'd say that. Oh, perfect. Yeah. yeah. It's always good to step in on that. We've all rewatched Seinfeld in our lives at least oh, once sure. or twice. Yeah, over Thanksgiving, but I went Kirby, back. Yeah. 
Nice. Oh, of course you did. Luke would love that. I wish Luke was here right now. He loved, He would love to talk about... Uh, oh, <laughs> Luke said on yesterday's Is It Safe show, by the way, that we talked about Larry David, and he said, yeah, Larry David's a void. He uh, voted for Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> <laughs> So now he's yeah he's no longer a fan Wait, of Larry David now. So, so you're gonna, he's gonna he's gonna dislike everybody that that voted for Pete Buttigieg. Oh well, he boy. still loves Seinfeld the show, but as far as Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David as human beings, I don't think he's a fan of theirs. I'm not gonna tell him who I voted for. I didn't vote for Buttigieg no. for the record. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. There you go. I will say this: uh, I wanted to catch up on the last three seasons. I hadn't seen Curb, so I got to see a couple fresh seasons to me, which was. Very enjoyable, especially with modern times going down. And then I just had to start over. That's how they got me. You know what? I'm just going to, because every time I hit play on an episode, I'm going to laugh. It's just a funny, and it reminded me way back, 2004 in Cincinnati when we lived at Laskowski's house, me and Guile. What a wild time that that ever happened. Me and Guile and Keith and Laskowski lived in that house together. <laughs> and he had, it was the first time I'd ever seen on demand. Laskowski always has like, no, he just has everything. It feels like he's going to have the bells and whistles for some reason. And he had the bells and whistles of cable on demand at that time. To me, that was like a radical thing in 2004. And we watched Curb Your Enthusiasm episodes on demand. It was like the coolest thing ever. And that was season three that year in real time. Oh, wow. With probably my personal favorite episode, Chet's Shirt. Yeah, <laughs> that is a good one. <laughs> with Ted Danson and Larry fighting over a shirt. Very good. So yeah, that's good that reminded me of Cincinnati. And I'm like, man, Cincinnati really face rat. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, it was. <laughs> I'm a Jew. I guess it was Jew pissed rat face was what we used to. I used to call him that. So I'm oh, Jewish. Since, I don't know if we're... since you're Jewish, does that mean that you, since you're Jewish, does that mean that you have hard data on this karma shit? Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> hurly, hurly, I'm, I'm hurly. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hard man. data. <laughs> on karma because you're jewish hard data on mysticism interesting very interesting uh, i also was uh speaking of being at the movies i was disappointed because i saw some trailers i didn't want to see and i didn't know how to hide from it it's really hard yeah. to hide from a giant screen in front of you because they showed a dr strange trailer that i didn't oh, want to see that sucks i dude yeah. i mean i literally have stuck my fingers in my ears and hummed to, to try and avoid that shit. I, I went and watched wow. a Batman trailer this afternoon now that I'd seen the movie, and I was like, man, I'm fucking glad I didn't watch that before I watched the movie. There was so much in it that I thought would have really spoiled some big things. Trailers are the worst, yes. man. I, and I, I already know how you feel about trailers, and I, I know, generally sorry. agree with that. I always have. There might be a time where I'm sitting at home and a new trailer comes out for... I actually watch trailers for movies that I'm less into, more oh, likely. Yeah, just, same. I don't care as much, no. so there's less for me to risk. That's the only like time Jurassic I'm Park. Watching the, yeah, yeah, I'm not I'm watching it. The less interested I am, the, the way more likely. I mean, uh, Morbius preview, bring it on. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there's uh, what we've been watching. A little lighter for us this week, and that's okay. Good. Uh, don't forget, cinnamon9podprotonmail.com. Uh, we do have our 100th episode coming up. Coming up. Next week, and we're having on the dudes. From Podcasting After Dark. Yeah, Corey and Zach from Podcasting After Dark are going to be... Was it next episode? Is that our next episode? Here's our next episode. The big one zero zero. It's finally coming. And then there's going to be one, two, three, four, five of us 
Sharing a microphone. <laughs> yeah, I know you guys are thrilled about that. Uh, this is exciting. We're really excited. Hundredth episode. We're going to do a hundred more for sure, as long as we're all alive. Hell, okay. even if one of us dies, I'm going to I'm going to put this on the record now. If I die, I want you guys to carry on. I, I'm saying that now, live. Same. Don't let don't let it don't let it disrupt. I you mean, know, I would want you guys to carry on. Same. Show dies with me. I've already got uh, paperwork <laughs> that I sent to my attorney in a safe deposit box. As cinnamonime.podcast. done. Yep, there it is. Okay, then. Hey, that's the game. You know, that's the game. That's the game. That's the fucking game. Yeah, that's the fucking game. Uh, as far as emails, I don't think we've had one recently, but we do welcome your guys' banter. Some of you guys are very clever with your words, and if you have something to say, by all means, hit us up, cinnamonipod at protonmail.com. And the five-star reviews, the YouTube channel continues to grow. Thank you to everybody there. Really Thank good you. stuff there. Eric's done great work. We're almost up to 200 subs. That's Pretty wild. We were stuck on like 40 or like 20 forever. And it shows a little backbone here, thanks to Eric again. And we're, we're uh, growing. So it's good to be a part of that. We thank you guys for taking yeah. the time to hit us up and connect with us. It's good times. Having said that, let's do it. Let's get into the main event. It's time for Does It Hold Up or Not? This week's edition takes us back to 1998. And in the spirit of Ravenous, I chose Hurley <laughs> Burley because this, which some reason, I just hadn't mentioned it enough, and nobody really had, but we talked about this before. We lived in Ypsilanti 20 years yep. ago this year, and it was Hurley Burley, Rounders, Ravenous, and Deconstructing Harry, the big four. <laughs> Is everybody ripped here? Yes. We are involved in a wide variety of pharmaceutical experiments. Madam. Well, I cannot express my gratitude for your including me. My girlfriend, Sarah, has become involved with this guy who just got out of rehab. He's completely freaked out on rehab and as much as he thinks everybody should be in rehab. And, I mean, you know, drugs. I'm telling this guy that drugs are, and just have been, as far as I can remember, an ever-present component of my personality. I am a drug person, and I would not, if I were him, consider that anything unusual unless he is compelled to reveal to the entire world his ignorance of the current situation in which most people find themselves. That is what I'm telling this guy. Who is this guy? I know ways to make guys stop anything. They may think they have the courage of cowboys, but I could change their minds. <laughs> See, that's what I'm getting at, Eddie. Persons like this guy can only be found in your household. <laughs> so dangerous. <laughs> well, who is it? Mm. No, in ways that you can't imagine. That's hardly likely, Artie. Now, wait a minute. What was your name again? I thought about doing for a while, but I didn't know. I didn't know if uh, it would be worth it or not. But I'm glad that we did this because there's a lot to unpack here. So, Travis, do you remember when you first saw this film? Though it's a 1998 film. Did you see it back then, or you were at Blockbuster at the time? So I'm sure you probably caught it when it came out on VHS. This is one, you know. So it's going to be. We're going to have to talk about Kevin Spacey, Kevin Creepy Hand Spacey. Uh, oh, let's do that now. Yeah. Well, we've, we, well, we've done it, we've done it before because this isn't. We did Usual Suspects. This isn't the first time we've had him on the show. But yeah, we are going to have to talk about him. Uh, but this, I was a big fan of him, as were a lot of us. And I was, you know, I was a big like. And so the movie came out, and I went to Ann Arbor to catch it at Michigan Theater. To, to see it in oh, theaters wow. in, in the special art theater because I'm like this looks fucking awesome and and I loved it but yeah um we could pause and talk about Kevin for a little we need to talk about Kevin right we need to talk about Kevin <laughs> yeah I thought of, that was one of the reasons I'm like uh, I mean there's other movies we could do but in the end what happened in our lives happens in our lives and I don't like to shy away from that first off 
there's other people in this film and there's a whole production crew and this film was really well done in its time in terms of what people gave to it. I don't think that should be dismissed because some right. guy was an asshole, a total prick, a, a scumbag, a, you know, a borderline felon. I don't know if he's ever been proven he hasn't been guilty. And he hasn't been convicted. Anyways, we know what Kevin Spacey was huge to us. Travis is right. Swimming's with sharks was like the mm -hmm. biggest thing for one year there in the mid to late nineties for us. We watched that movie a billion times. It oh was all because of Kevin Spacey's performance. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, uh, yeah. So, I mean, again, we, we did cover this in the usual suspects episode. You, you can go back if you want a bit more of a nuanced uh, look at it. My, my thinking at this point is, if, yeah, I agree. There's not one person that ever makes a movie, even if we're talking about the, a writer, director, star. There's still a whole entire crew and other actors and all kinds of people who you know put their blood, sweat, and tears into this thing and to just pretend it no longer exists because you you know because one person turned out to be a piece of shit. That's that's a mistake, I think. And and as a historian, I got news for you. There's a ton of people that we venerate still who did at least one thing that you could look at and be like, well, that's objectively shitty. Uh, yep. You know, I'm not saying we could, should celebrate Kevin Spacey by any means, but to try and just erase his work from our, you know, the public memory or something would be foolish. There's, uh, you know, and we don't have to like sit there and talk about how great he, he is or how great his performance is. But the man, he was in a lot of good movies for a reason. He was, he probably still is a talented actor, whatever he is. So there you go. That's my thought. No, I think that thought says it all. Um, and just like you, like back in the day, like anytime Kevin Spacey was in anything, we were we were going to be there. We were he, he yep. kind of popped out of nowhere. Like we remember him from like the ref and like the ref some early yeah. stuff. But then like yep. it, it exploded. We could not get enough. Uh, I saw this at the Star Southfield. Really, like I, I had to drive forever to find this because no one was playing it. It was so <laughs> art house. Mm -hmm. um this might come as a surprise to all the both of you but I, I i hated it i i hated the movie i haven't seen it since i might be the only one out of the whole the group that never hmm. liked this film uh so. so that's sexy beast and this one that we want we the rest of us walked around quoting in your face over and over again you're like <laughs> yeah yeah okay <laughs> yeah, again with this fucking movie come around here you your ass whatever guys <laughs> Yeah, what are they saying? Yeah, is that where you got that from? Brain? Yeah, yeah, again with this. <laughs> Interesting, Eric. Okay, Star Southfield again, popping its head. A classic yeah. theater once upon a time around here in the Detroit area. Uh, yeah, for me, I definitely saw it at the dump for the first time when we lived there. Uh, whenever it was shown for the first time is when I saw it, and they all bleed together. So there's no way I could tell you that I recall the first viewing of it. Either way, I definitely was a big fan of it. I thought the dialogue was outstanding. It was very quotable and Loved quoting movies back then, in particular, in my own daily dialogue. So I had to include that. Yeah. And it was also filled with a lot of great actors that I respected. Chaz Palminteri and Kevin Spacey, of course. Sean Penn speaks for himself. Robin Wright, Penn at the time. Robin Wright now. Mm -hmm. And Meg Ryan pops in, too. And Gary Shandling. Yeah. I love Gary Shandling. So that was yeah. another reason. I think that was one of the bigger reasons for me personally why I was so into the movie. Because he wasn't in movies very much. And he was just wrapping up the last season of Larry Sanders on HBO at the time. Yeah. Uh, 
I, I, I think it's really funny that 18 year old boys were on their own going to go see the, the movies of Kevin Spacey. Like we love this, the fine work of this, <laughs> this actor. We must go to these art film houses. That is kind of funny to me, but yeah, I also agree. Gary Shandling, this is my favorite Shandling role and always has been because it, hmm. I mean, now bear in mind, I didn't watch, uh, what's the Larry, what's the show that, uh, Larry Sanders, Larry Sanders. Yeah. I never, I never watched that, but oh my goodness. Yeah. I'm sorry. I know you're a big fan, but I just never got around <laughs> to it, but I have to say, this is my favorite, my favorite performance from him. It's a very natural performance. I, I wish that he'd done more kind of dramatic work. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. Uh, this was also a stage play and mm-hmm. it, you know, it's one of those that turns into a movie, so there's not really a lot of settings other than the house and a couple other ones, but the house is a big focus in this film. Did you, did you guys check out who else uh, played these original roles? I did. Bill Hurt, I think Chris Walken. Uh, well, you know, Chris Walken, I think he came in later. Originally, it was Ron Silver that had Mickey's role and oh. uh, and, and William Hurt that had did he have that Ed, beard? Eddie's role. I don't, I don't know. And then, and then Jerry Stiller was Artie, which I find <laughs> fucking awesome. I would have liked Jerry to have seen Stiller? that. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen that. Shit, yeah. I definitely yeah. would have loved to have seen that. How about that? Yeah. Sigourney Weaver is, um, as what's uh, Robin Wright's character's name? I always forget that character's name. Darlene. 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 I want to say Donna, Darlene. but that's Anna Paquin's character that was played by Cynthia Nixon. So it's a pretty good mix of, of actors. Oh, that's... I think somehow... This movie was able to get a lot of play around Hollywood circles or reputable actor circles because mm-hmm. I remember hearing a lot about that even in you know very early ages of the internet where oh yeah this movie was big with actors and the stage play people loved it and they wanted that's why it was so uh, worthy of turning into a movie I suppose well it's it worthy because it a lot of pub yeah it's worthy because it's wordy so I imagine actors are gonna fucking love it yes. <laughs> a lot of words. A lot of words in this film. There's no doubt about it. Uh, well, let's talk. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say that Hurley Burley is a reference to Macbeth, and there's a very Shakespearean kind of vibe going on with the language here. Uh, you know, in terms, I don't know. Mm. It's not. I don't think there's any sort of iambic pentameter or anything happening that I know of. I'm not really good at identifying that sort of thing. But state there Maine. is still state in Maine, huh? <laughs> but there is. It's no state in Maine. Thank God. But I do think that there's something going on here that there is an intention to have, you know, something that would be meat for actors to to chew on. It seems like yeah, that's that makes what's, sense. You know what, what's going on here to me. That makes so, sense. Uh, I think the original play is from '84, and oh, Jesus. they didn't keep it in the early '80s. And I mean, like Hollywood, uh, among most things completely changed from year to year uh this area in fact hollywood hills and the the industry and all this do you think it was a mistake to set it in present time for 98 as opposed to like the cocaine 80s like surplus i definitely don't i definitely don't for two reasons for one it it it, it, you know cocaine would have been more normalized in that time period and it's more high highlights the fact that he's got a all these guys have drug problems uh you know they're not just in their environment for one and for two this is how we get the amazing scene where they fight at home fight in their cars or with their cell phones which <laughs> wouldn't exist in the 80s and then fight in their office and then fight on the way home and then on their cell phones again and then fight when they get home so, so that that, well, that i that's probably my favorite part of the movie and that wouldn't exist had they not 
updated it for the 90s. They would have been rich. They could have had cell phones in 86, I'm just saying. Yeah, but it's a, I don't know, it's a minimal point. Yeah. You're right. The setting to me is fine because this is timeless in a way. Very much timeless to me. Especially this world, this Hollywood people and these producers. And uh, We'll talk more about the sleaziness as being timeless factor momentarily. But uh, anybody <laughs> got the score on this one? I'm going to say this is a, uh, a 6.7. That's my guess. Uh, yeah, I think that a lot of people that see it's not going to love it, but most that see it probably kind of like it. So I'm going to say 6'9". Oh. Let's say 6'3". Okay, there we go. I like that. I like that a lot. Oh! <laughs> 5.8. This is one of the lowest ones we've ever had. How about that? 5.8. Can't even crack the 6 barrier. Well, it is very wordy with extremely unlikable characters i can see where <laughs> it's not for everyone yeah it's fucking satire yeah okay i know what you mean but it's you know i guess it's for people who are willing to uh it's the type of people who would enjoy this are the people maybe that have insomnia or are the type of person that are they struggle with the inner turmoil of living in this life sometimes oh, I think shit that's why i liked so. it damn it <laughs> yeah. uh rotten tomatoes wise the critics gave it a 59 which is technically a splat just yeah. 1% under a decent tomato. And the audience gave it a 65. 65? From the, so the audience likes it more than the critics, which is a little surprising, I suppose. I feel like this would yeah. be like a critical darling in a way for some reason, just because of the way it's done. And Yeah. I mean, I don't know how the play was regarded, but I mean, it's well acted and I think well directed. Mm -hmm. But yeah. yeah. I think the play was nominated for a Pulitzer in drama, so it was really big with oh. a, a run of revivals, so it was a huge hit. Hmm. Well, we are very light on the reviews for this one. There's only two pages, which is as minimal least, as we've right? ever had. Yeah. That's, that's it. That's low. We do have Roger Ebert checking in. He says... Ebes. Ebes or what is Ebes, yeah. Ebes. Ebes. <laughs> Eddie, the Sean Penn character, I don't know why he has to say that, but... That's okay. We could have looked that up. Eddie the Sean Penn character is a bruised romantic with a good mind who is as unhappy as a person can be and in a riveting scene uses cocaine to take him to a place free of raw emotional pain. It is a remarkable performance. One Three scene. out of four stars. <laughs> one, one scene. Uh, he's also not a romantic and uh, I forget the other thing he said, but he wasn't that either. I'm not sure yeah, he's, he's a raging either. He's just confused. Like this. Oh, he's got a bad board, brain. Raj. Bad brain. He's got a bad. His brain is bad. Doesn't work good. <laughs> he, it says who is as unhappy as a person can be. I buy that. Yeah. He, definitely he says he has a good unhappy. brain. He doesn't have a good brain. He's yeah. not romantic, and he doesn't have a good brain. That's it, yeah. Eve's, Eve's, Eve's let me down this time. Shut you down, Jan. Let's see. Let's try Dennis Schwartz. Of, this guy always pops up. Dennis Schwartz of Dennis Schwartz movie reviews. Yeah, I, I remember that one. <laughs> this glib talk fest is based. <laughs> On David, is it Rabes? Rabe? 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 I don't know. Rabe. 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 David Rabe's 1984 misanthropic play about friends caught in the web of Hollywood hype. Uh, you don't, you're not reviewing anything there. You're just telling yeah, us. That, it's like a synopsis. <laughs> yeah. That's Plot summary? Thanks, dude. <laughs> Disappointing. Dennis, we gave you a shot. You screwed us. Let's try. Oh, here we go. James Sanford of the Kalamazoo Gazette. There hey, you go. Right. Yeah, jet skis. Uh, when the madness yeah. is all taking place in one room, as it does in the play, intensity is generated. 
When it's spread out across a variety of locations, the power of hurly-burly is quickly diluted. I completely disagree with that. I okay. think that had the, I felt, I mean, I, I could see where on a stage performance I could, I would want that, you know, that that's, it would make sense. But in a film, I think it would become really claustrophobic. And uh, if they never left, if they never walked out of that room, if it was just all in the living room, I think it would get really pent in and you just, oh, that doesn't sound good to me. Well, the intensity is always there to me. So I, I, that's the point I don't get either way. Yeah, it was on a stage play or the scenes and the way the actors are performing. They ratchet up the intensity. And with Chaz Palminteri's character alone, just having him there in any scene makes the right. scene more intense. Is your complaint really that this movie is not intense enough? Really? Yeah. That's, <laughs> well, I mean, what do you want? Like a action? Play devil's advocate. Like I could kind of see the moments where they probably said, all right, let's stop and go to a new location. Like, it's kind of the way the scenes start in the film. You can kind of see how, like, they're they're just coming into the scene and they're, sh- they're like, shooting a new part of the script. So Yeah, we were talking about that recently. Where, yeah, we were talking about that recently, how sometimes a conversation will, like, pick up somewhere else in film. Yeah. You're like, well, what were you doing in between? And yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we do see, but again, we do see some of that with these guys that they just carry the conversation on in between. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. So, yeah, all the... Otherwise, the reviews are pretty bogus. So here's one. Desperately seeking mammoth. hey <laughs> Yeah, it's only a wow. matter of time there. That's great. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this movie is packed with stars. You know, This, to me, was unique because Meg Ryan shows up in an unusual role for her at this, mm-hmm. at this point in her career. This, and then to she me, stopped. She just stopped yeah. working. <laughs> after that. And she didn't start working until in the cut, which is a disaster. But this... <laughs> Meg Ryan stepped out here, and, you know, by this point, we already had the You've Got Mail sequel, follow-up to Sleepless in Seattle, and she's the rom-com queen. And in this role, Meg Ryan shows up in the middle of the movie there, early to mid, and is this completely different balloon-popping prostitute? Uh, no, she's not a prostitute. She's just a, she's just a you know... A, She's not. You know, I don't think that she's a prostitute. I think it's she's vague. not doing this for money. She's, I, I don't get the. Right. I don't get the hint that they're doing this. That she's doing. Oh, this the for Bloom money. thing. I, the I Bloom think thing. She, well, she's a stripper for sure. I got that clear. Well, she yes, but her stripping involves some sort of like fantastic, you know, some sort of art, like you know, supposedly, <laughs> which you know that's that happens. There is plenty of people oh, that great. incorporate nudity into their art, and she doesn't. She's not charging for sex. She's just like a. I think that she expects no, 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 no. Re- yeah, return like favors, right? Like there seems like because you know, I think I think there's an expectation that you know the, that helping Eddie and Mickey et cetera out will be good for her and her career or whatever. Yes, there's also sex in this movie is bizarre as fuck because when you have the introduction of Anna Paquin's character Donna, Artie brings her over as a gift. Now this is like our pet. And yes, keeper and fucker. They're talking about her right in front of her when Artie brings her over, just openly. Like they wouldn't even think twice about holding back. Oh, she's right in front of us. Maybe we shouldn't be saying these things. And it's pretty, it's pretty fucked up now when I watch it today. Yeah. Well, so that brings me to one of my interesting questions that I wanted to pose to you guys, which is because this here's my thinking, and I wonder what you think. I think that these characters are deeply misogynistic, but that the movie itself isn't what do you guys mm-hmm. think of that does that make sense to you i'm in on that i'm in on that these guys are definitely misogynist but oh, yeah. this is a woman who as far as we can t- i can tell i mean donna's character she's not forced to do anything that she That's doesn't want to do 
Yeah, that's is that what you're alluding to in that this, respect? Yeah, I was well. like throwing up in the aisles, like goddamn this women trashing, women hating horseshit. But yeah, last night I'm watching it and I'm like, well, let's think about this. Like Donna does what she wants. I mean, mm-hmm. she she is a willing participant here, uh, mm-hmm. and even Meg Ryan's character. Until um, Phil headbutts her. Yeah, that kind of ruins things. Well, and then she leaves, rightly yeah. so. And, and I, what I like about Meg Ryan's character is she she tells, she said, hey, I, I, fuck who I want to. Uh, so no one's telling her what to do. Uh, so all these yeah. women are empowered, uh, even though they're around these misogynistic guys. For me, the film is kind of like a male bashing movie. And I think people <laughs> misinterpret it as a female bashing movie. But this is like a... This movie pisses on machismo and and male prowess more than it does anything with to do with negativity. Yeah, towards with women. Phil being the centerpiece of that, he's the uh, yeah guy. Like you don't want to be like this guy. <laughs> uh, friend of the show and co-host with my on my show with him, the best film pa- podcast with Chad and Travis. Chad chiming in with, "Hey, why did you guys like this movie so much? It always baffled me. I just wanted every character to please stop talking. I mean, for one, <laughs> if that's how you feel, then yeah, this movie's not for you. But I, I think that it's funny. Like, I it's quotable and funny to me. And I am laughing at these guys. Like, that, I'm laughing at these characters, especially yes, Eddie and Phil. Eddie and Phil are the like this toxic duo of all time just the biggest couple of fuck-ups maybe i've ever seen depicted on film and which is funny because like they have like more money than me and like they have better houses and clothes and cars and stuff than me and i'm like oh but these guys are like that you can't gauge success by that can you because these people are just rotten to the fucking core just the worst yeah. and and in the and you know i don't think darlene's all that great really either she does she's not i was going to mention that with your yeah. point earlier yeah, she does exercise agency. I'll give her that. But she, she's 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 but she's part of the industry. The, you know, don't say industry, but she's part of the industry, and uh, so she, her soul is a little bit rotten too. But Donna and um, shit, Bonnie, Donna and Bonnie—that is Paquin and Ryan's characters—are the only characters in this movie who really say anything ever of value. Mickey has a couple of gems, a couple he of does. times they're kind of realistic. But in terms of like seeing through people and uh, uh, being true about life and existence, like the the Bonnie and Don are the only ones that really have anything to actually say for all the talking everyone else is doing. Like they're the only ones that come into this movie with any real wisdom. They seem like the only people that that talk and say something like all the guys talk, but they're not really saying anything. Um, It reminds me of this quote that I was looking at from this guy, Rob Gonsalves, efilmcritic.com, calls the script a a burden on our patients. And I think that's what Chad's talking about. Like, you can look (laughs) at a film like Glengarry, talking, Mammoth's going to come up again eventually. Sure. But it's riddled with dialogue. All the characters are beyond despicable pricks, but it's so riveting, you cannot take your eyes off the screen. What's the difference? Um, well, this is navel gazing. I'm sorry. I, I thought that you were no, going to answer your own question. <laughs> or you, report, feel, yeah. feel free Go to ahead. piggyback on it because I, I think that's the whole point for me. Just this, what they're saying, it's not, it, it doesn't interest me. I feel like I'm the sober guy at a party of people that blacked out an hour ago and they're still arguing with one another. I want but out. I get that. I definitely get that. And, but yeah, this one is a lot more navel gazing and existential 
and not in a good way. Like, the, the, like these guys are just like self-obsessed, but not in a way that is uh, um, really getting them anywhere or getting the audience anywhere, which is partly why I could always kind of relate to Eddie in some ways. Unfortunately, I don't like to admit, but I mean, that's it right there. Like he, he constantly wants to better himself, even though he goes out of his way to be his own worst enemy over and over again. And, you know, there's plenty about him that I can't relate to just for the record, but his, but his, the, the fact that he is kind of like self-obsessed and because he wants to, he's, he's constantly trying to like, is it okay that I feel this way? How should I feel about this? How should I feel about that? Is this normal? Is this okay? And I think that's for me, something he doesn't can... feel loved. <laughs> well, Let's you know, about feelings, the movie, it's, it's just <laughs> called feelings. <laughs> And it is annoying. It is relentless. It is the kind of thing that makes me be like, well, I should probably not bother people with this bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, Eddie is so demonstrative with the way he says things and tries to sell these points that he's not even sure what he's saying half the time. And you're right. He's trying to get validation from others. And he's throwing, but he is trying to search for this meaning. He's always looking for meaning in everything. And he's the kind of guy that would drive me mad because. (laughs) Everything has a meaning or everything has some uh, relevance to each individual moment. And it's absolutely exhausting. Like when he, when Phil passes on and he yeah. goes off like, not tonight, not tonight. You know, he's like, he's just going to let it all loose tonight, howling <laughs> at the moon. And when he's talking again to, to Mickey in that yeah. great scene you mentioned earlier, I love that. When they start the cell phone conversation, the music picks up. And then as he's talking to Mickey from the balcony, Mickey drives by in his car. And he's like, lady. He screams oh, in the yeah. phone. Come on! It's such a <laughs> yeah. it's, it's in the vote. It's done in the phone, so you hear him yeah. through the phone. But it's so funny to me the way he his staccato type uh speaking and emphatic moments. I really Eddie's despicable in a lot of ways, but he is really funny to laugh at because yeah. he is just so lost in this human drama. Yeah, and and re- utterly reliant as as his good friends Mickey and Artie try to tell him that he's just like utterly reliant on ha- utterly reliant on having someone beneath him because Eddie is someone that there's one point in the film where he gets off coke to try and like he's he's with Darlene and like he's one year he, later yeah he's actually all abstaining and everything and he looks healthy he sounds he's healthy. got a kid he, he's got <laughs> a kid a, shows up <laughs> my favorite part is that every decision I make revolves around my son like what the fuck are you kidding yourself <laughs> yes you are but still there's a moment in the movie where like he's he, he he's doing okay before he falls off the wagon and yes and I think that's I'm glad that that's that sections in the movie because Eddie is someone that you do get the feeling that he he's kind of on a knife's edge and is throughout most of his life. He's got one foot either way. He could either be a basket case or he could kind of be okay. He's just struggling again. I can relate. So when, and, and Phil is an anchor, like that just is constantly dragging him over the other side of the fence, but like he can't Mongoloid. let go of him for any reason, you know, for all kinds of reasons, but mostly because of like selfish reasons he and 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 no matter how bad phil gets he won't let go because that way you just have this person lower i want to know how they met that's the only thing i want there's so many things alluded to in this movie as well he's got three kids in toledo that hate him (laughs) he also mentions he was in prison which is not a surprise but it fills in the story it's a really well done way of writing without getting caught up in like uh, extra five minutes of like so this happened and let's explain it to you they 
writing in this movie allows the audience to just take it in and figure it out for themselves with a lot of the pieces. And I respect that from this writer. It's well done in that way. But Phil is a, he is a raw nerve. He's a, <laughs> not even evil. He's not evil. He's just, he's like the bottom of the barrel of your worst fears come to life in a <laughs> yeah. human form. Yeah. Who could, he's a, he snaps, he's when he snaps at the grocery guy in the grocery store, oh it's just, God, it's, yeah. it's ridiculous. It's, uh, he's dangerous and dumb. That's like the worst combination. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's very dangerous. I don't think he's that dumb though. I mean, I, he's, he's definitely like dangerous because he's thoughtful. Gold, like, he does he's, think. He's unnerved. He's unhinged. But he, he's not stupid though, because when he headbutts Donna, as soon as Eddie comes down, he's like, "What's this?" He's like, "Oh, it's over too fast." That is calculated. He knows exactly what just happened. Well, yeah, so he he's is. not a moron. He's a scumbag. He's a scumbag. He has no control over his impulses. I mean, look at how the movie or how his character is introduced to us. He. Everyone just walks into Eddie's house throughout this movie. So he walks into Eddie's house and he starts telling him about how what what he's telling Eddie is that I was up all night on a Coke binge. I got up. I got home in the middle of the night and woke my wife up talking jag on a talking jag. And she's asking me to go back to sleep. So I punched her in the face. That's literally the story I'm that I'm not yeah. laughing at that. No, but I yeah, know, but like the talking jig, she, she could she could let me go. She could sympathize that I'm on a talking jig. Like it's but it, Run it, my it's, mouth a bit. Right, it's all projection. There's no accountability. Constantly, it's exhausting. Like just and and Eddie just enables him all through the way. And to me, this is plainly obvious. Like this is this. It doesn't take a, a you know a deep thinker to 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 see that, that that this is what's going on. So to me, that's that's partly why I enjoy the movie because I'm in no way am I watching this movie and being like, hey, these are a couple of good guys, right? I like these guys. These guys are cool. No, like these are sick men that like need help and again aren't evil. They're just so self-absorbed that they they hurt others. They're like emotional abusers, but yeah. worse than that, they're they're all yeah. users. And I've had people in my past friends that have just used me. And when you go down the line, everyone is using the other. Mickey's using Eddie to feel more confident. Granted, is mean he's manipulating him. But he's using him to to um, uh, fuel his own cynicism about the world, and Eddie's using Phil sure. to feel better about his place in the world. Hollywood, and right? even Phil, man, like Phil is fucking using this baby to oh my God. that that he sees as having innocence and 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 all the things that he doesn't have to to feel better. That's why he wants it around. It's like it's really salacious. Do, do you think if if we kept her and raised her, she'd be a good yeah. person? Yeah, yeah. Maybe my favorite joke of the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's clearly a joke. Oh, Can you imagine fantastic. a child raised by the four of them? As soon as Phil no way, brought that child, it up, it doesn't said, even make that's it to a fucking adulthood. baby. Oh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> like the it's like the last thing that should be last entering thing this that scene. Should be at this party. <laughs> Frail human, yeah. And absurd totally absurd and eddie again self-reflective like he won't hold her he's like i'm, I'm dirty he hasn't been doing anything but he's not talking about <laughs> his hands he's just like i'm dirty. dirty and mickey who is uh you know uh, a sensualist and just completely doesn't have no boundaries he just kind of just grabs a baby picks it up like, all right and hands it directly off to eddie with and then you know then eddie he takes nothing seriously. He's going to go back to his wife and kids. He's on a goof. Oh, God, I know. That's, that's, why, that's one of the reasons why he's among the worst of them. He's just like, yeah, I'm just going to go, you know, I'm going to go off on this 
I'm on a lark here. I'm going to fuck a bunch and do a bunch of coke and hang out and just use Eddie again uh, for his yeah. for his house and and, and he knows exactly enjoy this doing. lifestyle and and then go back to my my family. I'm like, oh, let's come back. What what I think about now watching this movie, I think it's almost unavoidable. Is I think about the Me Too movement over the last five years sure. and watching this movie now because you know, very obviously Harvey Weinstein's like Ground Zero. For the scumbags who took advantage of their power and their situations, but it was sometimes in his case it was very clear. Well, obviously he went to jail and he was convicted. But what you have here is people who have the opportunity to give people careers. And Hollywood's are not Hollywood is not a typical career place. It's a very unique, weird set of rules that barely exist. Rules very loosely. It's a strange place because people are drawn to it for the fame and the money and. A glamour, all these things that we already know about trying to get into the movies. It's a trope of all tropes in American culture. Hey, I'm going out on a bus and hoping to make it in Hollywood. <laughs> and what you have here are these guys not directly taking advantage in terms of assaulting anybody or anything like that, but they are using their power to their advantage. And for anybody to think that a guy like Harvey Weinstein or, or a lot of other guys who still haven't even been outed, frankly, to be blind to the sickness that was going on in the movies for shit, probably 80 years, frankly. Is but I just, mean, I mean, this movie's 22 years old, 24 years old. It's, it was yeah. right in front of our faces in a way, too. So that's a good point. You know what I mean here? You know what I'm saying? I do. But when you say that there's no, I mean, they're, they're not assaulting, you mean there's not sexual assaults in the movie, right? Because there's, right. There's, I mean, like, there is like four yeah. assaults on people at, at the top off the top of my head. Yeah, so thank you for clarifying that. That's yeah. that's what I mean to say. I'm talking about sexual me too and sexualization, using your power to take advantage of people sexually to get what you want from them. Right. In, but they do use violence to get what they want in this movie. Uh, they film, do. Film in particular. That is, yeah, that, that is totally fair. There's no doubt that's the case. But it's just, this is how it really is to me because it's... It's not said verbatim. Sometimes it is we're going to have sex. They do say that out loud. But in that world, as far as I can tell, what I've learned about it in my minimal life is that this really is just a toxic environment to the max. And it's not everybody, but it's a lot of them. And I think that's one of the key points of the film is is the toxicity that um, can bind people together for the worst. Mm. I mean, these these people don't really... They would all be better without the other in their lives yes. like like even Artie, who is the best of them probably but still yeah. just can hardly talk about a woman without referring to her as the b-word like when he like when when he grabs bonnie on her way out she's like i'm taking my kid to disneyland and he's like can i can i come too i'm like fuck dude just let this woman have a day with her daughter you gotta glom on and go poison her life because you think that she's <laughs> e gonna easily give you a blowjob like oh god leave her alone Hey, let's not forget Artie throw a bitch out of it too one day. I mean, what's that? Artie? Artie, yeah. Um, but that's the thing. I think you you hit on an interesting point. Once Phil dies, Eddie becomes a more interesting character uh, because of that loss, and then mm -hmm. it, it opens up him up to, granted, their uh, coke-addled existentialist philosophies and musings, but they're I think <laughs> they're a little bit more mature. And uh, my favorite part is probably towards the end when it's Donna that probably saves the guy from fucking drowning in his own mm -hmm. pool and, and it emboldens him. So 
yeah. there's stuff there that I really like. I mean, it's acerbic in like the the, the Neil Labute type of way that I just is just not I for me. That. So that's what that's I think. Oh, yeah, why call. I'm coming at it aggressively because mm-hmm. I cannot stand that type of like acerbic writing and vulgarity when it comes to these these characters. But there's stuff. There Friends and neighbors sure. in this movie. Yeah, there's, there's some, a lot in common there. That's a yeah, great reference. Good call. A good comparison. I chose both of them. I don't know what that says about me. So. That you like that you, that you have a stomach for that kind of comedy. That's for sure. Um, I do. And, and referring back to that that ending scene with Donna, I love that she's like first showing off her patches, and she's like later, she's like I didn't go anywhere. I, you know, sorry. I just <laughs> I want I want to, but yes. but but still like so. And then she 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 hears that he was at. Eddie's or that Eddie was at Phil's funeral. She's like, oh, that's why you're upset. You were at a funeral. Of course you're upset. Like, no, people aren't sad because they're at a funeral. They're sad because their friends, their friend died. Like, but she's but she's a kid. She's ignorant. She doesn't know. So she has like these moments of of ignorance here and like childishness, like understandable childishness. But then she also talked like he he started to ask her about like the way the universe works and all that stuff. And she's like, it's just, you know, it, it doesn't care. And as far as I know, it doesn't care. But you know, how you feel doesn't matter. And she's not trying to be mean about it she's just like how you feel like doesn't have to doesn't have to run your life doesn't have to guide you you just mm-hmm. kind of live and go with it and, and and trying to you know when you will never know if the flow cares or not then you know <laughs> just do your thing and, and that's again like re- whether you agree with it or not that's still like a, a a kind of wisdom that eddie certainly is lacking um i'm gonna be remiss for talking about how there's not a lot of actual assault in the film Donna I didn't is say that. A 15 year old homeless teenager. Oh, so she's supposed to be 15? Completely. Yeah, I disagree. I didn't know she's 15. It's not stated child. she's 15. Uh, is it stated that she's 15 in the film? I know that in the play she's 15. Okay. And, and when you look, when you think about Anna Paquin, you can just do the homework on Fly Away Home in the, the piano, and it's, 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 it's there. And I think they probably didn't have the balls to state it in the film, or else, you know, this is suddenly no. definitely not funny anymore, but. This is a kid. You said it yourself. Yeah, yeah. She's definitely a, like I. I got the feeling that she was like a teenager or early twenties, but I didn't think I didn't know she was like fifteen. Obviously. She was sixteen in real life when it came out. Did she film that? Really? <laughs> she's says so she's born eighty two. I didn't know that. So well, I, no, yeah, that's a I good point, Eric. I didn't. I didn't yeah, do I didn't the math. That. I didn't. I don't go around. No, doing well, the math. On, on that. Yeah. <laughs> so clearly, knowing that now, you're right, Eric. So yeah, I yeah. absolutely agree with you there. Uh, I want to give credit, though, because we're ripping on Phil as a mongoloid bozo, but it, Chaz Palminteri is incredible in this role. Even so though it's good. he's a raw nerve of physical violence, the way he commands every line he says, and he's got the, the height, too. He's an imposing physical presence, but he uses all of the tools in his toolbox to maximize every laugh that I get out of Phil, and I'm laughing at Phil because he's just so disconnected from the reality that he's living in. It's it's funny. It is funny. Chaz Palminteri still made me laugh many times in this movie. But as funny as he is, and and I agree, he 100% is, he's also scary. Like yes. He's, he's scary yes. at, at the same time that he's funny. Right. And you, you feel bad for him. Yes. On top of that, you also Thank feel you. kind of bad that? for the guy. Scary. Well said. You're scary, scary, funny, and like kind yeah. of pathetic all at the same time. Yeah. Like it, it is... It's I, I it's the performance of the man's career as far as I'm concerned, and that, I think it says a lot. I think he's done a lot of good work, but I mean I agree his, his this what he's doing here, and he he has the most Shakespeare the most Shakespearean dialogue. Relent, I beg you, you know that kind of stuff. <laughs> but uh, and again, like he's an actor, he's an artist, he's a very frustrated 
artist and he's and he's trying to funnel that out through this really vicious like you know the, his 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 tool his instrument is right. to beat things and pound things and hurt things but he's got this art he's trying to shove out too which again like i think there's a lot going on i mean something like, at one point i'm like are, are they trying to like do different parts of one personality like if you put all these people together you'd have a decent human being maybe i don't know it's a good question he you you probably figured phil was probably abused as a kid and stuff too it's just that's a you feel bad for him in that sense too because you probably wonder did he ever get a chance because that's just the kind of guy that probably learned what he's done and we'll never know that i'm just I'm imagining kinda, the character beyond the film itself. So. No, I think you're onto something because I think that like he's he's clearly older than Eddie, but he seems to be oh, yeah. uh, attaching himself to Eddie like Eddie's a father figure in, in, to him. He's yes. constantly coming to him for advice and guidance. Not just a producer who could get him into parts and stuff too. Yeah, because they have so many exchanges that we get to see as the viewer mm-hmm. where they're talking about their lives. His We're life. talking about our friendship. These moments, these exchanges. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about friendship here, Eddie. <laughs> He screams in a grocery store, yeah, a very small grocery store. Yeah, oblivious of everything else going on around him. It's, it's just the here, the now, <laughs> this conversation. <laughs> I kind of envy him in a way. It's, I kind of wish I could be that oblivious. <laughs> yeah, and like I really feel bad for him. And and one of the, the scenes that I really enjoy between him and Eddie, when Eddie is basically calling him, he's calling him um, unnecessary. Uh, and he's when he call, refers to him as background. Because uh, yeah. he's in the industry, and background extras are oh, yeah. there as their props to to make the story Getting to the more goods convincing. here now, aren't we? So, um, and, and to the point that all these characters are just these borderline, you know, sociopathic sleazebags. Like you forget a lot in your real life that everyone around you is is, is helping you in the long run, and they're there for a reason, and they can't be discarded good bad as as just background people that are there that are there for for scenery and it is heartbreaking the look in Chaz palmetary's eyes when he's telling him this is just it's insane so eddie means it right right and but then mm-hmm. he he his he answers when he asks him like what is it that discuss you he says everything and they just That's decide that they, they decide that they're joking he decides i guess that he's joking or something uh, how could yep. you couldn't possibly like, be disgusted it, yeah. by everything? I he guess is what it, is. But man, but don't forget, Eddie is what I perceive to be a casting director in this industry. His yeah, job is so. choosing the people, the right people for the job. And casting directors will cast background based on a lot of different things about them, which makes everyone important. So him saying that uh, uh, Phil is completely uh, un- unimportant is bullshit. And it's just a testament of him trying to bring himself up by putting somebody else down. And he just suddenly feels like hurting Phil. Like maybe that's partly what that scene is about too, is that, you know, it really fucking bothers me. He gets told, Hey, Phil just hit me, but from Donna and he just ignores it or worse still Bonnie Bonnie comes back and is like, he threw me at a moving car. He doesn't skip a beat. He says, I'm sure he slowed down, which is kind of funny, but in reality, he straight he looks her in the face and she goes, "You don't care at all." And he's like, "No, I don't." And he does it. Now he, he's it's pretty uh, cold, man. It's, a, he, he, it's he, watching he's, this now is that's pretty tough to. What, Donna's crying. She's yeah. a young God. If I realized that she was even younger too, it would probably make me feel worse watching that in the moment. But you, yeah, but he does. 
uh, you want to reach through the screen and tell Eddie, Eddie, what the fuck, man? Come on, you got to you got to show some type of compassion for this younger woman that you're kind right. of caring for, as opposed but, to this monster of a human being. It's instead awful. of standing up for it's, anybody, it's not his worst moment. It is yeah. well, and instead of standing up for these for these women, or even Artie, one of his best friends, instead of standing up for any of these people, he'll just arbitrarily lash out at uh, at Phil when he feels like it. And 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 again, yeah. because Eddie is an, an emotionally crippled human being. <laughs> but that's that's why Darlene is a perfect match for him in a way hmm. because they're almost the same person. She doesn't lash out like he does. I, I admit that freely, but. The way she seems to actually, no, I, now that I think about it, I think Darlene has a lot more in common with Mickey. There seems to be this oh, yeah. laissez-faire connection. They probably would have been a better match, actually, yeah. when Mickey says at that restaurant, I've been watching you two, and what I see here is passion. It's mm -hmm. a fight, sure, right? But He just wants out of it. But Mickey, yeah, and he everything's a joke to him anyways, especially other people's expense. He doesn't give a fuck, and he and Darlene are these two floating around. They like Darlene doesn't have maybe the vindictiveness that Mickey's character kind of has i would say but you know robin wright does a really good job of playing this aloof without it seeing uh trite or that she's really trying to be a certain way she just floats along with the breeze and she just wanted what chinese or was it french food i can't remember Dude, so funny to me that like wanted. this uh, this argument scene comes when she's actually like down for eating whatever and he and he picks the, the big thing. bite that's so the funny. thing who has not been in a relationship where you've had two hour long argument mm -hmm. and no one even really knows what the fuck you've been arguing about the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's just like this airing of grievances. It has nothing right. to do with Chinese or French. Power play. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's fascinating. Uh, well, well, we started a little early on this one. We got a few more minutes. Any other points, notes, highlights here we want to get to with this fascinating 1998 film called Hurley Burley? Well, I, I'd like to stay on Darlene for a minute because she is a, a very dynamite lady and we haven't spent much time uh, <laughs> talking about her. Dynamite lady. Maybe she's not as dynamite woman as he thinks she is. Maybe. Uh, no, I, I, I actually just wanted to say dynamite lady. I have nothing else to say about her. Perfect. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I, and so Eric, I do you have like... any other critical notes? Uh, no, not really. Not really. Okay. So we've kind of covered every actor and character here more or less we haven't talked that much about mickey i guess for for reasons we don't maybe we don't want to get into <laughs> kevin spacey that much uh is it a yak hair wig i don't know i remember being told that back in the day <laughs> i have no idea if that's true or not okay. uh, but i do think that his character again like um at the end of the film when he's when 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 Eddie realizes that this is who he's pretty much left with, Artie's around, but this is this is going to be my best friend now. And he asks him, "What kind of friendship is this?" He's like, eh, "Adequate." Uh, I I love that that truth. And I, you know, one thing I and I never noticed before in watching this movie is that when they get back from the um, from the funeral and Eddie goes into his terror and like his just like doing all you know just trying to make sense of all of this and and you know. <laughs> Mickey's actually not the worst friend in the world because it turns out that he had could have had plans that night, didn't make those plans, didn't, you know, cancel those plans because he wanted to hang out with Eddie, who he knew was going to be a wreck because his best friend died. But Eddie is going to just turn on Mickey and turn him into like a chew toy or something. I don't know what he's trying to do with Mickey here, but he's he's going to just emotionally ab 
abash him and abuse him because he just is angry and sad. And 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 Mickey just very calmly and wisely just like holds up a hand at one point, picks out his phone and calls the girl up. He's like, yeah, you know what? I am free tonight and leaves. And I love that about him. I love that about that character. You know, that he is. I mean, he again, he's a he's a he's a flawed guy in a lot of ways, clearly. But he is he is uh, self protective in a way that is very cool and self-composed that I like. Hmm. Absolutely. This is a, this isn't the fiery spacey we've seen in other no. movies. This is the reserved, but still, you know, stoic with his role. And he definitely is somebody who's needed in this film because with all the chaos between Phil and yeah. Eddie, you know, Mickey's there to break that up a little bit. You know, even in the early part of the movie, but you know, have some breakfast, eat an orange. <laughs> Snowball. He's like, he's actually the reason with all these fucked up people. He's the reason in that house half the time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, he also kind of gets huh? off on um, his friend's misfortunes, and, and I can't tell if it's in a way Definitely. that's just to mm-hmm. like build himself up, or if oh, it's. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, just to, what people with no empathy do. Like, isn't like, Eddie his Phil? <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. But yeah, I mean, I wouldn't uh, want to be friends with a guy like Mickey because he looks down no. at you and tells you that you're oh, no. you're, you're less than constantly. So, I don't want to be friends with any of these people. It's very clear. Let's yeah. make that very clear. I don't want to hang out with. <laughs> I'd hang with Bonnie. People. I want to see them on a screen so I can laugh at them. But yeah, I'd hang with Bonnie's Bonnie. cool. Keep yeah, your kid at I home. Out, Nobody cool. said to bring your kid. This is sick. This is really sick. Yeah. yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, there it is. I guess. Yeah, early, like early. Just kind of wrapped up a little early tonight. I thought we'd have more to say about oh, it. Well, we but... started earlier. No, yeah, we started way. We usually go to like thirty minutes in on the opening, and we we started at twenty two minutes. Yeah, because so. we all just didn't watch that much, and then we're gonna have our. It was a lighter week for us. Yeah, and then we'll have our after episode bonus episode again of of the Batman. So stick around for that, or or check that out, as a case That's may right. be. Anything else that you guys wanted to, to say about David Rabe and what was the director's name? I, we never said it. Um, I forgot to Anthony look it up. something. Yeah, Anthony something. Guy Marza. Fella TV fella thing. guy. Yeah, Anthony not Marza. much of anything. Uh, Anthony Drazan. Yeah, that's what it is. Anthony uh, Drazan. I really love Z-A-N. I really love the shot where uh, Eddie is beneath the, the glass and Artie's doing coke off the glass, and then you've got Mickey, Mickey. in the up, upper uh, thing. That's uh, this. They rack focus between the three. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, I'm sure that was some a lot of setting up for that, and it looked great. Oh, Kudo. he did Zebrahead. I didn't know he directed it and Zebrahead. wrote Zebrahead. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's yeah, a good that's movie. Right. Michael Rappaport, early '90s. It's a good movie. Oh, he did something else. Anyways, I can't remember. Well, one other thing, man, before we wrap is they're doing this, try to do, trying to do this thing with um, the television, which I'm still kind of scratching my, my head at. I think they're trying to oh, yeah. uh, perceive it as like just this box that puts out digestible content, even if it's like decapitations and the murder of children. And they're just looking at it like it's, fast food commercials. I don't know if this is like an 80s uh, like consumable thing or what, but it keeps popping in and every now and then. What, yeah. what is this all about here? I think that's a really good point, and I think you're right that it's a holdover from the 80s. I can almost see the stage with the television on it just flickering. You know, every performance that this has been done, the TV's just on. You know, uh, it probably be, it probably looks really good on a, on a Broadway or whatever kind of stage. 
But yeah, the, the the very first thing we see in this film is nature, the power of nature in a storm on screen, like not our screen, on his screen, on mm-hmm. Eddie's TV screen. And I think that might mean something. I think it means something that, you know, at one point we learn about this hostage situation that people are, have, have died in and Eddie's very upset mm-hmm. about. How am I supposed to feel about that? Well, you shouldn't mm-hmm. feel sad, dude. You know, mm-hmm. What do you want? Um, but I think... And that I'm glad you brought this up here at the tail end of things because that brings me to one more point I did want to make and forgot that there's this one point in the in the film where um, Darlene and Eddie are talking about how distracted they are all the time and I made yes. a note like oh distracted in 1998 without a cell phone in your hand oh, so it's not just now and then it's like people really always have been distracted by themselves and by the world and by everything else going around because i don't know about you guys and their egos i don't know about you guys but i am constantly distracted i'm constantly fighting to stay focused myself but i have adhd so there you go but still yeah i thought that was so i think the tv factors into all of that like this is this is another source of distraction like is it going to provide beauty is it going to provide chaos it's just on and it's in your house this portal to the outside world bringing you who knows what I think uh, it's is it's pointless. Just like their lives are pointless, and everything mm. they talk about is just pointless. It's more Idiot box. Yeah, everything. The TV is no different than what they're doing, and they're entertaining themselves in a way with mindless Ooh. drivel that just continues to pour out of them, no matter twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. <laughs> That's great. I think you're onto something. Yeah. Well, I did think of that TV too when the movie first came out. I'm like, I feel like, oh boy, this is gonna be annoying to somebody. It looked, it's like, why do we have this? It looks so bad now, too, because it's 24 years old and it's a shitty yeah. TV. And yeah. It looks bad. So, But it's nice to be reminded every now and then how lucky we are to have flat screen giant TVs at affordable prices that yeah. don't oh, weigh 5,000 pounds every time you move them. <laughs> yes, all hail the TV. Oh, thank you, TV. I am thankful. I am thankful for my TV. Give me back my TV. All right. Uh, there it is. Hurley Burley, let's do the closing remarks here. Um, well, I'll, I'll go, go first. first. I don't think I've gone first in a while. <laughs> I, think first? I'll, I think I'll go first. No, <laughs> Everybody no, 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 no. I haven't right, gone go first in a while, man. Like, Go ahead, and, Eric, please. And I just remember, it's been, what did you say, 24 years? And I just fucking remember the movie being extremely exhausting. In fact, man, <laughs> Hurley Burley from, I think it's from Macbeth, that basically means noisy confusion. Uh, and that's what this is for me, man. It's fucking noisy, and I get confused about all these fucking feelings and emotions that these guys are going through. I look at a cast this big, and it's like, this is like Warren Beatty's like bachelor pad. This is like unbelievable. This cast is insane. This is a legendary. The stories from this set have to be out of control. Thinking, how can a how can a movie with a cast like this sitting around doing lines of coke and pontificating be this boring for me, man? I'm sorry, dude. It flirts with a lot of interesting possibilities of commentary on all types of abuse, emotional, physical, sexual, uh, and spiritual. But the problem for me is it just comes off like a pointless collection of inane scenes, each more irritating than the other. Uh, the script for me is it's just lacking wit in drive like mammon i hate to keep bringing it up it's not it's never good to compare but it's just it's it's just not as witty as it is for you guys to me and i really don't 
None of these lines stick with me. I just see a bunch of squabbling and bickering, and I always dislike seeing that in a movie unless it's it's really uh, written well. So for me, it doesn't hold up, but I can see how uh, people enjoy it. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay, Eric. Hang in there. Uh, very reasonable, by the way. I, really not a lot to disagree with on your point. Uh, for me, this is a film that has a lot of jokes in it, and... You have to be willing to absorb a lot of things at once sometimes to laugh at the jokes. You're laughing at... They're not like jokes told as a jokey style. Like, hey, It's the way they speak, what they are saying, their disconnect from their own reality, the greater societal reality. It's funny to me because it also seems quite authentic. Like these people really exist. It, even though it's a, it seems absurd, but these are people that you will find, not even just in Hollywood. They're in every city somewhere. Somewhere out there, their lives are so important to them. And their, their search for their own individual quest to understand or to be players that fuck with other people. All of the characters represented in this movie exist with their own intentions. And I, within the first 15 minutes, I hadn't watched the movie in quite a few years. But I instantly, I was like, this is so funny. This movie is hilarious to me. It just was, I said it out loud. When Paul Terry comes into the house and they start running around. And even when Eddie's in the beginning, he's like, now I'm fucking comatose. Like, it's just <laughs> funny. It's like, I also, I've done a lot of drugs, I guess. So maybe I can relate to some of that. It's funny. Yeah, I mean, there's some of that to this. We didn't even mention that. But, uh, you know, that's funny. They're very accurate with a lot of the <laughs> drug, <laughs> drug stuff in this movie. So when I watch this movie, it's really got a different lens for me now, and I admit that freely, and I'm grateful for that. I I see it through the world as a much more mature human being now at 41, and these people are scumbags. And I might not have been harping enough on what kind of scumbags they all were when I watched it 20 years ago. I admit that freely. But I clearly see them for who they are, yet I can still laugh at them, but I can also disassociate myself from them and say, I don't want to have anything to do with these types of people, but you're going to act how you're going to act anyways, so I'm going to laugh. And there's some really awful shit that happens to a few characters in this movie. There's no doubt about that, and that's not funny. But in the end, I kind of enjoy this philosophical musings, even if they're not all that concrete of the, a lot of the characters in this movie. And I'm always going to like movies like that, so I guess that's why it holds up for me, because I like to dive into that conversation. And it's funny. And that's enough for me. I got to tell you, I think that was extremely well put. I think that Thank was you. extremely well put. And I also agree, you know, Eric, you're, 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 the reasons you dislike the film, there's no coming back from that. There's a reason why you haven't changed your opinion over the years. This is just not for you, as it's not going to be for, I guess, a lot of people. For me, again, yeah, I am. I never chose this movie because I always knew I would feel it held that it held up. Uh, this is a this is a movie I've I, again. It has been a long time since I watched it, and I do feel some differences uh, about these characters now than I used to, but not much, not much. I mean, I think Artie's really the only one. I was like, oh, you suck too. I think I thought that you were the good one, but no, you're not so great. Um, and especially, I mean, I knew the dropping off a girl like a care package wasn't cool, just for the record. So 
do I, do I have to defend my, you know, my liking for this movie? I don't know. I don't feel like I have to. Uh, I think that it is a intelligent film. I think it is a very witty film to me. Uh, you're going to be standing there with a radish for a face. You're going to be standing there <laughs> talking like a fish. I mean, that to me is some memorable fucking dialogue. And again, like you do maybe have to watch it ad nauseum as i have as mike has for maybe some of this language to get under your skin like the way bukowski's would right you don't necessarily want to be like bukowski you don't want to hang out with bukowski but when i was in when i was the same age i was when i was watching this movie i loved me some charles bukowski and i think that there is something you know there is something about the misanthropic that you want to kind of revel in maybe at that age and and that you can still find humor in and and pathos now because uh, to me this is a movie that i both find entertaining extremely fast and i i'm left thinking about things and not the things that Eddie's character wants me to think about, but what David Rabe wants me to think about and, or like what I think he wants me to think about anyways. And, and again, like what, like to watch this movie different times in my life and have different takeaways, despite seeing it so many times. Cause partly I had a bit of like the sneakers thing going on with this movie where I'd seen it so many times that there was at first I was like, am I going to find anything new here? But I did. And I think that says a lot about the film and why it holds up for me. Great call, the Bukowski there, yeah, misanthropic. Great word, and that's what these people are. And I also, when I brought up the drug stuff, like I honestly, when they're all hanging out in that living room the one night after when Meg yeah. Rice character Bonnie comes over, I'm like, it reminds me of some nights I've had. Oh, dude, I, I meant to say that in my does it hold up? Is that yeah? I, that's another thing I can agree with too. I mean, I have, I've done a lot of a lot. I've done a lot of drugs, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> And I could, again, I can relate to this movie in ways that I wish I couldn't in a lot of places, sure. but I can. I can. I've had those late nights standing around having these conversations that you think could change the world <laughs> if only someone else heard them or something because you're so self-important, you know, but like yes. it's actually just the cocaine. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We should have mentioned that way earlier. I can't believe we didn't get into that sooner. Yeah. Good call. That's well done. All right. Well, there it is. Hurley Burley. Two out of three ain't bad. Rest ain't. power meatloaf. Next week, we got the 100th episode yeah. with the podcasting after Dark Fellas. It's going to be fantastic. We are doing a movie of their choosing. Mm -hmm. And apparently it's called The Annihilators. The Annihilators. The Annihilators. Or Annihilators. Annihilators. Did I put a V on that? No, I think it is The Annihilators, right? The Annihilators. Yeah. If you're not familiar with podcasting after dark, you've never checked them out. First of all, you should. They have a really yeah. fun podcast. And for two, their thing is obscure films. That's what they do. So they've covered films like Intruder and Monster Squad and stuff that's like maybe not something that everybody you would expect a podcast to do. So in keeping, in true form, they've chosen a very, very obscure film that I have never heard of in my life. So looking forward to watching that <laughs> and discussing that with them and looking forward to discussing the Batman, uh, Matt Reeves, the Batman with these two gentlemen right in a moment. By the way, so there's a movie called the annihilators, which is the one we're doing with the podcast after dark crew. Again, thanks to them for coming on for our 100th episode. That's very cool of them to do that. Yeah. That movie came out in 85, The Annihilators. And then a year right. later, a movie called Annihilator came out. So I got confused for a second there. Oh. Two 80s movies. 
similar titles. The Annihilators that's is supposedly it. on Tubi right now. So if you're wanting yeah, to tune in right. next next week, that's how you can watch The Annihilators. I'll look forward to this. This is definitely something I've never seen before. So we'll <laughs> do that next it. week. And uh, like, <laughs> never never heard of it. Next, and like Travis said, we're gonna do our uh, the Batman bonus episode here. A little bonus for you all. We'll post it up to the YouTube channel as soon as we get done with it. There it is. Thanks, everybody. Valiant's by the best. <laughs>